Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 30 in our series for 2021, and today's date is Friday, August 27th. First, I'll be talking to Alicia Kennedy, Managing Director of Naked Wines, and I'll be talking to Indeed Economist Callum Pickering about the latest jobs figures. But now, let's talk to Alicia Kennedy. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, Alicia, how do you explain success of Naked Wines during COVID-19? Thanks for having me, Leon. Uh, I think the obvious answer is that it's really expedited people's comfort with buying online. Prior to the pandemic, 90% of Aussies wanted to buy local. And what we saw through COVID was a real understanding of the impact of every dollar spent and a really strong purchasing stance to directly support local businesses and producers who were by far the most exposed during this time. Consumers really lent into the independent makers. And for us, the impacts of COVID-19 have accentuated the wine industry's challenges and are validating our model. Our people have been very busy, but have done an extraordinary work in supporting independent wine producers and building our platform. And we've really been able to see the power and possibilities when you have a community of over 130,000 angels, which is what we call our subscribing customers, backing not just Naked, but our independent winemakers. And I think that's what separates Naked from the crowd and the reason we've been really able to work very well through COVID-19 and and really see that you can make good things happen when you work together. And I think most importantly for the consumer, it isn't just a feel-good exercise. By providing an alternative and disruptive business model for producing and distributing wine, they end up with the best independent wines at the best and fairest prices. So it is really a a win-win. So how would you describe that disruptive business model? Naked Wines cuts out the middlemen and strips away the hidden costs, such as distribution and advertising, things that you can't taste in the bottle, but often drive up the wine label price tag. And so through an innovative business model, we are direct to consumer, which is where we connect the best independent winemakers with the consumer directly and create a really efficient go-to-market where we're able to support independent winemakers to take away any of the fear or concern that they'll end up with a lot of wine and a lot of debt. We actually can fund them up front. And that means that we end up getting the wine directly to the consumer at a much better price because it's really efficient than they would have found in in other wine shops. Who are the winemakers that are part of the Naked Wine Stable? Well, today we've got 61 of the best independent winemakers from across Australia and New Zealand. And 
there's an array of winemakers in there. They include award-winning winemakers who have worked for and often the chief winemakers for famous labels like Yolumba, Penfolds, Wolflas, Basset Felix. But now they get to work for themselves and they get their own names on the bottles. We've also got emerging winemakers who are credited as the young guns in wine. Some of them who are from multi-generational wine families running five-star holiday rated wineries. And in the last year, we've had some wonderful additions, uh, including the talented and acclaimed Philip Morhan from ex Curly Flat, Josh Pfeiffer, who's ex Henschke, and Ben Riggs, which people will know from Mr. Riggs Wine Co. and was ex Wirra Wirra. And so it's a, a wonderful array throughout the entire of Australia and uh, also some of New Zealand and it's just an amazing group that continues to to be an amazing collective of winemakers for us. So how do you actually check them down? Well a combination in the early days when nobody knew about Naked Wines it was a, a town hall tour of Australia to find the best independent winemakers. I think as as winemakers have worked with Naked Wines and as a consumer interest has grown in it We've seen it really validate that consumers are able to get great wine at great prices. And it then it then spreads. Winemakers have other friends in the winemaking world and they really see that this is a really secure and different way to be able to take your wine to market. Um, and so often they, they are approaching us and sometimes being referred by some of their other winemaker friends. And sometimes we'll see somebody out there who we think is a fabulous talent and want to see if, if we can help them get their wines to market and, and grow their, their name. And I guess because winemakers are regional and a whole lot of them bunch together, a lot of it would be word of mouth. Yeah, a lot of it is word of mouth and, and some of the, the best people, you know, Philip, Philip Morahan actually came in. He, he knows one of our other winemakers that's been with us since 2012, Sam Plunkett. And Sam suggested to him that he should definitely get involved with it because it's it's really done wondrous things for for Sam and the community in the Strathbogie Ranges that where uh, Sam lives. So lots of word of mouth uh, and lots of excitement around it. We, we're so thrilled to have the range that we do to be able to provide that wine to the consumers and vice versa. The consumers are really excited to liberate winemakers and give them an opportunity to make great wine and and be able to to reap the rewards of that. Naked Wine has had all sorts of initiatives to support winemakers because they've been hit by bushfires, they've been hit by COVID-19. And they've been hit by the China tariff. So tell us how you've done this. Since our inception, our mission at Naked has, has been very simple. And that is to disrupt the wine industry for the benefit of customers, our winemakers and our people. And it's clear to us that the pandemic has served to underscore this and, and really has proven the opportunity before us. It's not lost on me, Leon, how fortunate we've been as a business in the last 18 months. And what's most truly inspiring and motivating is the impact we've been able to make for independent winemakers who were more reliant, say, on tourism, restaurants, bars, international markets like China, and many who've, as you say, been hit really hard through all the different things that have happened in the last 18 months. So we were able to raise over $329,000 for those winemakers affected by the fires. Some of them lost vineyards, they actually burnt down. Some of them lost grapes due to smoke coverage. We had a COVID relief fund, which offered much needed support to winemakers. Many who saw their sales to restaurants and tasting room cellar doors disappear overnight when lockdowns occurred. And then of course, toward the end of last year, we saw the tariffs of up to 212% on wine being exported to China. And that heavily affected the industry. So we launched Stop the Squeeze. And that was really to reconfirm our position that no commitments we had already made would be changed as more supply came into the market, but also to offer $5 million relief fund to those Aussie producers who had made fantastic wines that were destined for China and suddenly found themselves without a home. I'm pleased to say we have 11 benefactors of, of this, some who have 
had nothing to do with Naked prior to the, the Stop the Squeeze Relief Fund. And that was, you know, that there's the likes of Jason Schwartz, Triffin Estate, and many winemakers last year honestly started terrified of what it could mean. And through Naked, actually some of them have come out even better than what they had anticipated. So it was it was a real, real treasure for us to be able to use our fortunate position and, and pay that back and pay it forward and make sure that we can uh, can continue to help the independent wine industry. And I suppose you'd be continuing to do that because uh, relations with China are still fraught and uh, we've still got the pandemic going. Exactly. So whilst we've, we've got that relief fund, actually we're just pulling through some of those wines and, and putting them out to consumers now. So we, we launch a Stop the Squeeze wine at least monthly at the moment. And I'm so thrilled that our consumers have been able to pick up great wine, but also support these these winemakers who have been affected. So continue to do that. And, and, you know, these are just expressions of what our mission is. And that is to make sure that we can disrupt the wine industry. So there is benefit for customers, winemakers and, and our people. And that's just by doing the right thing when it, when it counts and using our position to make sure that independent winemakers in Australia continue and can thrive because they ultimately make the absolute best wine for us. And of course, what you're doing is you're creating a real wine community of not only consumers, but winemakers as well. Yeah, it's a, a brilliant community. So our consumers are able to drink the right wine, rate that, and talk to the wine the winemakers through our site. So each winemaker has a wall and, and post backwards and forward. And the winemakers absolutely love to hear firsthand that, that information and that feedback from the consumer. It, it is kind of as close as you can get to being at a cellar door and sitting across from a winemaker, but ultimately and efficiently sitting at your home um, and being delivered to you. So it's uh, it's a wonderful community. Now, Australia has a unique market for wines because most of the distribution is controlled by Coles and Woolworths. So how does Naked Wines manage that? You're right, Leon. Over 75% of wine sold in Australia is controlled by the duopoly. And this is usually disguised by other brands. So Cellar Masters, First Choice, Vintage Cellars, Dan's. They're all owned by just Coles and Woolies. And they're often vertically integrated, owning everything down to the vineyards. And this makes them the antithesis of independence because what that means is a true independent now has to compete on margin against what are own brand products. So our business model at Naked creates this really efficient, as I mentioned, secure way to go to market for independent winemakers. Ultimately gives Australian consumers some of the best wine from independent winemakers at amazing prices due to this efficiency and a really convenient way of accessing those, those wines. There's never been a better time to be a business selling independent Australian wine, and there's never been a more important time for independent winemakers to get that customer support. So I'm really thrilled that we're able to take part in that and, and play our part in supporting that in, independence in, in winemaking industry in Australia. So, I mean, but basically the wines from Naked Wine would be cost competitive with uh, the wines being sold by Dan's and Vintage Sellers. Yeah, that's correct. So we actually benchmark our wines against those that you would find in traditional retail, as you say. And, and we, we basically, because we're stripping out some of that advertising, distribution, and really focusing in on funding what is in the bottle, you can often find that you'll, you know, you'll take a, a wine from Naked Wines and it's 20, 30, 40% less than what you would expect to pay for the same kind of wine in traditional retail. So it's really effective for the, uh, the consumer and they get great wine at great prices but also can feel good along the way, making sure that they support the independent winemakers as well. Well, Lucia, it's been fantastic talking to you and more, more strength to Naked Wines. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Leon. Really appreciate it. And now let's talk to Indeed Economist, Callum Pickering. 
Well, Callum, the unemployment rate has dropped to 4.6%, but it seems to be more a function of the falling participation rate. Uh, what's your view about that? Yeah, it was, it was a bit of an odd one. So the unemployment rate's down 4.6%, which is the lowest we've seen since December 2008. Now, normally that'd be cause for celebration. We'd be really happy about that. But of course, half the country's in lockdown and we kind of get the sense that there's probably more to that number than is immediately apparent in the labour force statistics. So there's a few things that are going on at the moment. One is that participation has declined quite a bit, and that's sort of absorbed the impact of, of these lockdowns to some degree. There is also this issue that there's a bit of a disconnect between people who uh, are on unemployment benefits, who have lost their jobs during the pandemic, and people who are considered unemployed for statistical purposes. Now, to be considered unemployed um, statistically, you need to be actively searching for work and available to begin work. And you can sort of imagine that might be a little bit difficult in, in the likes of Sydney right now um, with much of the state in, in pretty hard lockdown. So a lot of the people who have lost their jobs in New South Wales recently aren't being considered unemployed. Um, they're instead considered to have left the, the labour force because they can't really... Um, start a new job right now. Um, and so both of those factors are putting downward pressure on the unemployment rate, which is why we've seen such a, a large decline in July. And, uh, of course, uh, I mean, with the lockdowns, people would be less inclined to go out looking for work. Well, that's right. And, and look, even if they can find work, they can't necessarily go out and, and, and do those those jobs. There's, there's a lot of people who, you know, to, to do what they have expertise in, they need to be, you know, face-to-face with people. And, and that sort of thing isn't really possible. So there's a variety of reasons why we're seeing sort of reduced job search at the moment. And when we see reduced job search, we see people exit the labour force. Because as I said, you've got to be actively searching in order to be considered unemployed in Australia. So how, how was this reflected in hours worked? Uh, was there a drop in hours worked? Well, this was a really interesting one. What the hours worked data tells us is there's a bit of a two-speed economy right now. In New South Wales, hours worked fell 7%, which is pretty much what you'd expect from a state that's in lockdown. In Victoria, we actually saw a 9.7% increase. And the reason that happened was because in early July, when the Labor Force survey happened, Victoria was emerging from lockdown. Of course, since then, we've now gone back into lockdown. Um, so hours worked will probably plunge when the August data comes out for Victoria. And then in the rest of Australia, we saw uh, a slight decline, down about 0.6%. Now, when you put all those figures together, what we see is a, a 0.2% decline in hours worked, which is a pretty modest outcome. It's not necessarily what I anticipated from, from the data. I'd sort of expected a much larger decline than that. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the timing of the, the survey and um, what's been happening in Victoria since they've been going in and out of, of lockdown uh, quite frequently over the past few months. It's interesting. I mean, you talk about it as a two-speed economy. How have the other states been doing in terms of jobs being created? I believe there, were, there was a drop in the number of jobs in New South Wales. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So when I talk about the two-speed economy, what I'm talking about is the Lockdown states, which is mostly Victoria and New South Wales. Obviously, other states sort of have um, short-term temporary lockdowns, but those two are sort of more permanent lockdown. And what we're seeing is weakness in those those states. So New South Wales uh, employment fell 36,400 people, which is a decline of about 0.9%. So that's, that's pretty sizable. Victoria was actually up in July, but again, that was just because they were emerging from lockdown. Employment will fall when the August data comes out. 
And the rest of Australia is actually doing pretty well. So employment jumped uh, 22,500 people in July. It's actually about 2.8% above where it was pre-pandemic, which is a really strong employment result um, since March last year. If you compare that to New South Wales, employment there is actually still below where it was before the pandemic and Victoria slightly above. So that's sort of your, your two-speed economy right there. Okay, so other states are actually putting on jobs. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and it appears as though the momentum has um, continued thus far. Now, I'd be a little bit concerned that maybe um, extended weakness in New South Wales and Victoria could spill over to the other states. But at least so far, those other states do appear to be continuing on their merry way from an economic standpoint. Um, conditions still seem to be reasonably strong for, in terms of economic growth, and, and we're seeing that with employment gains in those states. Now, uh, given that uh, New South Wales is expected to continue uh, well beyond August the 28th, and uh, we don't know how long Victoria will be in lockdown, uh, we, we can expect uh, this will play out in the August figures, won't they? Absolutely. The, the August figures will be likely very weak because we're going to see that um, extended weakness from New South Wales as long as, as as well as Victoria going back into lockdown. So we'd expect employment in Victoria to decline quite a bit. We'd expect hours worked in Victoria to decline significantly. Um, so that there's good reason to be pessimistic about the, the August data. And as long as these uh, lockdowns persist, we're likely to see that, that weakness in New South Wales and Victoria. So that's likely to extend throughout the month of August into into September. In New South Wales' case, there's, you know, obviously a strong argument that there could be lockdowns through to the end of the year. Right, OK, which is a bit of a worry. And, and so what does that mean for the RBA? Well, from the RBA, I think what it means is that policy normalisation, and by that I mean increasing rates, just isn't going to be possible until we have this under control. Now, whether that means zero COVID or, or whether that means high levels of, of vaccination, but, but it's clear they're not going to do anything as long as COVID is causing these regular lockdowns across the country. So, I mean, they've said they don't think they're going to lift rates until 2024. Um, so they've obviously got a, a long time before they need to, to make a move there. Um, so they're going to sit pat from a, a cash rate standpoint for the foreseeable future. It does, though, also suggest that they might um, increase their level of support somewhat, and that'll be through their, their QE program, asset purchases, maybe for a little bit longer, um, delaying their, their taper of those purchases for a, for a little bit longer as well. Um, that'll become more clear over the next couple of months, I think. Now, how was how this reflected in the wages figures? So the wages figures were a little bit weak, up by around... Uh, 0.4% in, in the June quarter. That lifted uh, national wage growth up to 1.7%. Now, before the pandemic, we were up in sort of the, the two and a quarter percent range. So we're, we're still a little bit weak in that regard. And the data was a little bit uh, weaker than we might have anticipated, given the, the, strong surge in, uh, the strong surge in employment over the first half of the year. Now, to some extent, given these lockdowns that we are currently going through, wage growth is probably likely to, to soften a little bit over the remainder of this year, um, which is obviously disappointing since in the first half of the year, we thought that we were going to get that much stronger wage growth coming through. Um, but with Sydney and, and Melbourne in, in quite a, a difficult set of circumstances right now, we are likely to see wage freezes um, and possibly very low wage growth um, across businesses in, in both of those states. 
And given the number of businesses that have headquarters in, in Melbourne and Sydney, that's likely to have some spillover impact into the other states as well. So there, there's a strong likelihood that the wage growth um, could soften over the remainder of this year. Uh, the other issue too is, I mean, with these lockdowns, it will affect business confidence. I mean, businesses are less likely to put on people when uh, they're in a state of lockdown, and that will have impact on the unemployment figures. Yeah, that's true as well. Now, so far, we're not necessarily seeing a, a big hiring impact from these um, lockdowns. Businesses continue to advertise jobs in, in really strong numbers, certainly above where we were before the pandemic. But the longer these lockdowns persist, the larger the impact it's going to have on, on hiring, and that obviously flows through to future employment. So if we do begin to see that, that larger impact upon hiring, obviously the outlook for employment and the unemployment rate would uh, be downgraded. So that's obviously a, a big concern for the second half of this year. Okay, so uh, while we are in this uh, two-speed economy and uh, states, various states in lockdown, we can't expect much in, in for uh, economic growth and uh, jobs figures. Well, that's right. I think there is a, a genuine risk of recession at the moment. I mean, def- depending on how you define it, you could probably argue we're already in a, in a recession, given that the economy's um, all but certain to contract by a pretty large number in the September quarter. And, and the longer these lockdowns persist, the, the greater likelihood that the December quarter is going to be pretty weak um, as well. Now, I guess, you know, based on our experience from emerging from the lockdowns last year, um, we can be pretty confident that the economy will snap back quite quickly once we can return to normal, but the uncertainty is when that's going to occur. And, and right now, no one really has an answer to that. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And that could actually have a longer term impact uh, even when we recover. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the longer these lockdowns last, the, the more likely there is to be uh, more persistent damage, um, scarring of the economy. So that's going to be something that's also worth keeping an eye on, uh, particularly given the level of government support this time round isn't as great as it was um, in the lockdowns we had last year. And so potentially the capacity of the economy to snap back really quickly may be somewhat diminished compared to last year. Okay, well, Callum, uh, those are sobering thoughts and uh, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you, Leon. So what's happening in the news? Well, the rise in mental health problems caused by the lockdowns in Victoria and New South Wales have already cost $1 billion in lost productivity, and those aged 15 to 25 are likely to be the worst affected, according to updated modelling by the University of Sydney's Brain and Mind Centre. The figure, 
builds on earlier modelling by the centre that estimated the productivity cost of the COVID-19 pandemic at more than $20 billion a year due to a projected increase in psychological distress, hospitalisations and suicide. The centre's modelling considers the initial and ongoing cost of increased mental health illness to the health system and the wider economy. This includes estimates of the cost of increased suicide, the cost of caring for the increases in people self-harming and having suicidal thoughts, and estimates of a reduction in productive output of those affected by mental illness. Professor Ian Hickey, the former Mental Health Commissioner, warned the growing COVID-19 related mental health crisis, especially for young people, had become a shadow pandemic. And business support for mandating COVID vaccinations in workplaces is growing, with a national survey of 700 companies finding a quarter would like compulsory jabs of their employees. An Australian industry group survey of business attitudes to mandatory COVID vaccination in workplaces found more than half were in favour of some form of mandating. 24% said they would like to mandate COVID vaccinations for some or all of their employees, and 27% said they would like COVID vaccinations to be mandated only through a health order related to their industry. And almost 7,000 COVID-19 jabs have been administered to critical workers in the food and freight sectors from Sydney's hardest-hit local government areas. Cooperation between major employers and the federal government's Operation COVID Shield rollout effort has seen staff of supermarket and food giants Coles, Woolworths, Aldi, Ozharpas and Metcash vaccinated across 19 sites. About a 1,000 doses have been administered to employees at freight firms Linfox and DHL, according to federal government data. Ahead of a major expansion of workplace vaccinations in coming months, about 6,000 Commonwealth Bank and Westpac employees in hotspot local government areas are being jabbed in a pilot phase. Rollout boss Lieutenant General John Fruin is working with the retail and university sectors on workplace vaccinations, and sporting bodies in AFL, tennis, soccer and netball are expected to be included. And Hutchison Ports and DP World have told Wharfies they must get the jab to come to work next week as new rules introduced by the New South Wales government ratchet up pressure on employers to mandate vaccinations. The stevedores advised hundreds of workers they could not work at their port botany terminals located in one of the hotspot local government areas in southwestern Sydney from August the 30th if they have not had their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccination. The directions confirm what employer groups suspect thousands of employers might be forced to do after the introduction of rules requiring authorised workers in 12 Sydney local government areas to be vaccinated if they work outside their LGA, unless their workplace uses rapid antigen testing. And fully vaccinated travellers will be able to claim 1,000 Qantas frequent flyer points, 15 status credits to move up the loyalty tiers, and a $20 discount on Qantas and Jetstar flights. It is part of a new initiative from the airline to encourage vaccinations. Frequent flyer members who claim the rewards will automatically enter prize draw to get free accommodation at ACOR hotels and free fuel from, a from BP service stations. Prize winners will also get a free international flight on Qantas or Jetstar when borders reopen, projected for mid next year. There will be 10 winners overall, one selected from each state and territory, with another two winners chosen from a national pool. And the Porsche-driving mortgage broker, who filmed dying police officers at a horrific multi-vehicle accident last year, has been banned by the corporate cop from providing financial services or credit for at least a decade. Richard Pusey, whom a judge dubbed the most hated man in Australia, was banned from performing any function relating to carrying on a financial services or credit business earlier this month by the Australian Securities Investments Commission. An investigation found the 43-year-old mortgage broker and insurance salesman had given the regulator as many as seven false statements in licence applications and compliance documents. The regulator declared he is not a fit and proper person to participate in the financial services and credit industries. In a statement, ASIC said Mr Pusey 
has no regard for the law, lacks the attributes of a good character, honesty and judgment, and cannot be relied upon to comply with directions issued from authorities. Asicated Mr Pusey is likely to contravene credit legislation and financial services legislation. Mr Pusey is in custody awaiting sentencing after pleading guilty to assaulting a woman at his home and two road rage incidents. Mr Pusey also pleaded guilty to menacing a Westpac employee in a series of messages in 2019 following a credit card dispute. An Australian electric car charging network, Jolt, plans to install 5,000 free fast chargers across capital cities after BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, bought a stake in the company and pledged an initial $100 million towards building the network. Drivers using Jolt chargers would receive 7 kilowatt per hour equivalent to about 45 kilometres of driving for free and be charged for power drawn after that. Jolt would also make money from advertising sold on its charging stations. All the power it sells will be renewable and the installation of the charging points is expected to begin in Sydney in September. Jolt operates charging stations in Adelaide. Charlie Reed, a managing director of BlackRock's global renewable power team, said for the world to reach net zero emissions by 2050, the last internal combustion car engine would need to be sold by 2035. He said this would happen globally and in Australia, whatever government policies were in place as Australia imported its vehicles. And supermarket giant Woolworths has responded to the push by many shoppers for faster online deliveries, striking a deal with Uber Eats for groceries and fresh fruit and vegetables to be delivered with, from some of its Woolworths metro outlets within an hour. Woolworths is starting a trial for Uber Eats drivers to deliver goods ordered from 12 Woolworths metro stores in Sydney and Melbourne. It aims to roll out the service to about 200 Woolworths outlets by early next year. Woolworths operates 996 large supermarket outlets and 78 Woolworths metro stores, which have a smaller footprint and are generally positioned in inner-city locations to capture customers and commuters buying smaller amounts of groceries, but more frequently. But the Woolworths metro format has suffered in the pandemic as more people work from home and CBDs emptied out. Woolworths in June booked a $50 million write-down on the value of 13 metro locations located in CBDs or near major train stations, which have borne the brunt of the work-from-home shift. And right-wing extremists are using platforms such as YouTube, PayPal and Buy Me A Coffee to raise money to support their nefarious activities, says the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, which is calling for anti-money laundering laws to apply to more technology businesses. ASPI analyst Ariel Bogle wants the federal government to develop a centralised hate crime and statistics database to track and understand the financial activities of extremists operating in Australia. She's also calling for regulators to consider whether emerging platforms have obligations under law, such as the Anti-Money Laundering and Counter-Terrorism Financing Act and the Proceeds of Crime Act. And about 7,000 truckies at Toll Transport will strike across the country on Friday, disrupting parcel and food deliveries at the height of the pandemic. The Transport Workers' Union confirmed drivers would stop work for 24 hours after Toll refused to drop bargaining claims in crisis talks on Monday, including that part-time staff work up to 38 hours a week without overtime and new drivers work 6-12 to 12 month contracts. The stoppage is the first national strike in road transport in more than a decade and comes as home deliveries have surged following stay-at-home orders for more than 14 million people in New South Wales and Victoria. And the profit reporting season continues. Kogan's net profit plunged 87% to just $3.5 million in 2021. Takeover target Afterpay has widened its net loss to $159.4 million in financial 2021 versus $22.9 million in the prior year. Australia's biggest smash reporter outfit, AMA Group, reported a $99.1 million statutory loss for the year. Chorus EBITDA rose slightly to New Zealand 
$649 million during the year, up only slightly on New Zealand $648 million in the 2020 financial year. Its net profit after tax fell to $47 million, from New Zealand $52 million, and operating revenue dipped to New Zealand $947 million, from New Zealand $959 million. Reliance worldwide revenue rose 15.3% to $1.16 billion, while net profit climbed 110.5% to $188.2 billion. All media's revenue for the period was up 23% to $251.6 million, while earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortisation more than tripled to $33.3 million. The company reported a $9.3 million net loss after tax, compared to a loss of $28 million in the prior comparable period. GPI Property Group's net profit fell to $22.96 million, down from $66.74 million a year earlier. NIB's underlying revenue rose 2.9% to $2.6 billion. However, its net profit rose 84.5% to $160.5 million. Hotels and cinema operators, event hospitality and entertainment has posted a 45.4% fall in financial 2021 revenue to $449.3 million. It narrowed its statutory loss 15.7% to $48 million on EBITDA of $27.2 million. Mining contractors' Macca's net profit after tax jumped 219% to $20.7 million, following the $17.4 million loss it reported last year. Ampol's EBIT rose to $340 million from $221 million a year ago. Michael Hill's net profit rose 15-fold to a record $45.3 million in 2021. Charter Hall reported post-tax operating earnings of $284.3 million. Latitude delivered an 81% rise in cash profits to $121 million. Ansel sales rose 25.6% to US $2.02 billion, while EBIT climbed 56% to US $338 million and profit firmed 57.5% to US $246.7 million. Parenti Global's net profit after tax and amortisation in the second half of 2021 financial year improved by $75.3 million from a first half statutory loss of $63.8 million to a statutory gain in the second half of $11.5 million. Underlying net profit after tax and amortisation fell from $211.7 million to $170.8 million. Hub24 reported net profit after tax of $15 million, up 53%, and underlying group earnings before interest taxes depreciation amortization of $36.2 million, which was a 47% increase on FY20. Monodelpha's group's revenue rose 18% to $1.75 billion, while profit climbed 29% to $47.1 million. The Westfield Australia Real Estate Trust Centre Group has reported its operating profit for the half year to June 30 climbed 27.5% to $460.1 million on property revenue up 21.3% $1.0648 million. Total revenue fell 1.2% to $1.081.4 million. Illumina's net profit dipped 19% to $73.6 million. Carbon Revolution revenue declined 10% to $34.9 million as this company reported a $32 million loss after tax. Oil searches revenue climbed 7% to $667 $7.7 million in the first half of the year, while core net profits soared 463% to $139 million. Nanosonic's full-year revenue was up 3% to $103.1 million for the period, with an operating profit before tax of $11 million, down from $12.4 million into FY20. Voice communication software provider MNF Group's recurring revenue rose 12%. million, while EBITDA increased 13% to $43.1 million, sitting at the top end of market guidance. SEA Health's revenue rose 4.4% to $665.4 million, while profit after tax rose to $6 million, following a $16.9 million loss 
a year earlier. Austell's net profit after tax came in at $81.1 million, down from $89 million in FY20. Superloop's total revenue rose 2.9% to $110.7 million during the year. However, it still reported a loss of $31.9 million for the year. Sleep treatment specialist Sonomed has narrowed its full-year net loss to $1.18 million and lifted revenue 9% to $62.7 million for financial 2021. Greentech's underlying net profit after tax and amortisation rose 27% to $10.6 million. Local fund manager VGI Partners delivered a normalised net profit after tax of $42.9 million for the half year to the end of June. Fertility specialist Monash IVF has hiked its adjusted net profit 61.5% to $23.3 million on revenue up 26.3% to $183.6 million for financial 2021. Stature net profit climbed 116.9% to $25.5 million with the adjusted profit number excluding the impact of JobKeeper subsidies. Viva Energy's gross profit firmed 17% to $788.9 million. Mount Gibson's sales revenues dipped to $329.7 million from $445.2 million a year earlier, while net profits slipped 24% to $92.1 million. Wagner Holdings reported net profit after tax of $10 million. Financial software player Bravura Solutions reported a 13.8% fall in financial 2021 profit to $34.6 million. Northern Star's net profit climbed 299.7% to $1.03 billion. Medibank Private's net profit advanced 39.8% to $441.2 million. Sky City's reported profit dipped 33.7% to New Zealand $156.1 million. Seven Group's net profit firm 447.6% to $631.4 million. Zircon miner Aluka Resources has posted a half-year net profit up 61.7% to $191 million. Oracoba's losses widened 14.7% to US $59.6 million. IDP Education's earnings before interest and tax were $64.1 million, a 41% decrease on FY20. Adbri's net profit firm 94.5% to $56.6 million. National Storage REIT grew underlying earnings by 28% to $86.5 million for the financial year that ended in June. Nine Entertainment's net profit firm 76% to $277.5 million. APA Group's profit after tax grew 98.8% to $36.68 million due to significant one-off items. Engineering Group Worley's net profit fell 50% to $86 million in financial 2021. IVE Group's net profit rose to $29.5 million, improving on the $20.2 million loss from a year earlier. Growth Point Properties has posted a financial 2021 stature net profit of $553.2 million versus $272.1 million in the prior year. McMahon's holding statutory net profit rose 19% to $77.2 million. Ferries and bus operators Sealink reports its underlying net profit climbed 552.6% in financial 2021 to $74.7 million. Aurelia Metals net profit firmed 46% to $42.9 million. Green Whistle Painkiller Merchant Medical Developments has swung to a net loss of $12.6 million. Clearview Wealth reported a 54% increase in underlying net profit after tax to $22.7 million. Dalrymple Day Infrastructure reported net profit of $100 $13.2 million. Sunland Group's net profit after tax surged from $2.4 million in FY20 to $24.9 million in FY21. Ridley's EBITDA climbed $9.6 million to $69.1 million, while total comprehensive income climbed to $29.9 million, following a loss of $10.7 million a year earlier. E-commerce business MyDeal has swung to a $5.9 million loss. Zipco has reported a staggering $652.5 million loss. And pent-up demand for youth fashion helped Universal Store lift net profit by 90% to $24.4 million in 2021. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Kat Long 
the CEO of Trace, a company set up to help businesses and individuals reduce and or offset their carbon footprint. And I'll be talking to economist Nicholas Gruen about ways to manage our superannuation. In the meantime, you can catch me on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.